The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Many of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, Was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, and they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband— And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to wait about 10 minutes so all the kids, the long line, can leave. (laughs) A lot of children. Well, good morning. My name is Ben, and I'm on staff here at Restoration. And um. It's good to uh, see you here. You could be anywhere this morning and you're here. Um, the past couple of weeks I've been gone. I've been out. Um, so thank you all for a little respite and rest and time away. Uh, my wife and I welcomed our third thing uh, into our household. And so uh, Mary Robin Hooper has arrived. And so uh, in the words of Friday Night Lights, uh, teary eyes, full diapers, can't lose. So we've we've uh, enjoyed the transition. Uh, my wife's been amazing. Um and, uh, and our two older siblings for this new little girl uh, lack motor skills, uh, but have a heart that's full of affection and uh, for this little new sibling of theirs. So thank you. Uh, one other thing is uh, two of those weeks I was gone, I got to sit where you sit and just kind of be. And I really was encouraged, just kind of a change of scenery and perspective of just what the Lord is doing, not through one person, but through just a community. And so in and through this community, it's just really a sweet thing that, that we get to see what's Holy Spirit calling us to do and, and doing in our lives. 
Amid those couple weeks, we have been in a sermon passage uh, in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, uh, it's right after, in the New Testament, right after the four Gospels. The Gospels tell the life of Jesus, what Jesus did in his life and for his people. And so uh, Luke is a historian. He cares about details, and he's a doctor. He cares about details. It's good if you're a doctor to care about details. And he chronicles both in his gospel, the gospel of Luke, and Acts, different things. And in the book of uh, uh, Luke, the gospel of Luke, he says, I'm writing this with this prompt so that you may believe. He's saying, here's all Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection, so that you may believe. And then he gets to the book of Acts, and he starts writing with this prompt, not so that you may believe, but he's saying, hey, that book, uh, the, the book of Luke, I am Luke, I'm writing the book of Acts, uh, because all of that book is all Jesus began to say and do. Basically saying, in the book of Acts, we're going to see this. We're just getting started. That the, that the ramifications of what Jesus has done on the cross and the empty tomb is just getting started. And it's going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's this ripple effect of the ramifications of the gospel. And that's what we see, this movement of the gospel. And so with that in mind, we're entitling this sermon series, Can I Get a Witness? And we say that because uh, everything we see in, in every chapter is kind of this gospel show and tell. It's this showing, this, this societal impact of entering into communities and having a, a real difference in where you are and telling, contextually communicating what the gospel looks like. It really is this amazing journey that's descriptive about the way the church began. It's, it's our origin story. And also what it looks like as we see and get bearings uh, as we ourselves witness. And so we're in chapters, end of chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5. Uh, we are this morning. And up to now, it's been great. Um, Pentecost has happened in chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit's been given. There's been preaching and miracles and uh, conversions and baptisms and, and generosity. It's action-packed. It's been awesome. And then there's this story. People are f struck down dead and drug out. And if you're a Christian, uh, you can read this story and think, this is... A couple of things. It could be confusing, and it, it's okay that it's confusing. It could be embarrassing. It, it could be actually, um, it could make you tremble, shake in your boots. If you're not a Christian, you can think to yourself, hey, in the Old Testament, there was this Old Testament God, then Jesus came, saved us from him, and now Jesus has ascended into heaven, and that Old Testament God is back, striking people down, waiting with the gun cocked to pull the trigger. And what I want to offer us this morning is that this is a hard story. It's not one that um, when someone says, hey, what's this Jesus thing about? You'd say, hey, Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> you, but it's, it's an important one because in all of the scriptures, all of the Bible, and all of the drama and the story that God shows us, of this, it's not rules, it's a love story of, of him and his people. And all of that... There are hard things. And those hard stories and those hard things aren't something for us to um, resign ourselves to confusion or resign ourselves to it's too much for us. It's actually these invitations to say, hey, if you enter into this, 
God's going to show us something that's really true and deep, not just about some thing, but actually about the human heart and about the God who made the human heart and who renews the human heart and saves the human heart. We're being invited to see something that's true of God so that we may love him more. That's what all of scripture is and certainly the hard parts. And this is a hard part. And so this morning, as we look at kind of the actions of the Christian life, it's in the, it's in the kind of the case study of generosity and offering something, but really can be expanded to the actions of the Christian life. We're going to look and kind of put those, the actions of the Christian life, um, the, the orthopraxis, um, right? Practicing your faith. We're going to put that under the microscope and look at it. And we're going to look at a few things. We're going to look at first, what's the reason? What's the reason for offering, for, for living the Christian life? What's the reason? What it reveals, what's next? What's the reason? What it reveals, what's next? And no matter who we are, all of us are coming to something in some way to a story like this. And so with that in mind, let's go to the Holy Spirit and ask him to meet us where we are so that we all can be ministered to and see Jesus for who he is. Let's pray. Lord, when we come to a story like this, um, it's easy to have so many hang-ups and uh, get so many flat tires as we journey toward what you're really showing us. And so, uh, by the power of your Spirit, would you just uh, clear our heads and clear our hearts? Where we're busy, would you bring stillness? Where we are disturbed, would you bring comfort? And where we're comfortable, would you bring disturbance? all with the end and the telos and the goal of seeing you who you are, Jesus, because that's all why we're here. Whether we're strong in our faith and wanting more, whether we're feeble in our faith and wondering, is it really true? Whether we're um, marked with any anger or bitterness, whatever it may be, you know every single person here in this room and how we are and why we are. And this story actually attests to that fact. And because that is true, and because you're that kind of God, may it be true this morning. Meet us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so first, what's the reason? The Christian life, acting out of the Christian life, generosity, giving, is what we see in this story. What's the reason behind it? What's the reason behind it? Now, Jesus has lived his life. He's come, he's lived, he's, he's taught, he's done his miracles, his ministry. He's been killed. Uh, he goes to the grave, he's resurrected, and then he goes with his band of disciples and he teaches them. He teaches them and he, he shows them all, kind of opens their eyes, it says. Um, and it says he opens their eyes to what the scriptures mean. He's trying to teach them and, and in light of the resurrection, tell them this is all part of the plan. And, and in uh, Acts 1, the beginning of Acts, he says, okay, I've taught you all this. This is paraphrasing. I've taught you all this. Um, I'm out. And he ascends into the heavens, into clouds. And they're kind of, the disciples are wondering, uh, okay, what do we do now? And then there's, the people say, these two bright shining figures say, hey, he's gone. He's gone and he's ascended into heaven, but he will come as, just as he left. And he won't leave you alone. And then Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit given in Pentecost. And we see this, uh, all of a sudden, God has this mission. And he doesn't have a mission and then make a church up. 
He says, I have these people. I'm going to fuel them and invite them into my mission. And that's what we see. These miracles, these preaching, these, all this different stuff. And they begin this show and tell like we just talked about. Going and telling of the gospel. Showing the ramifications of it. And we get to Acts 4. And we see the snippet. And Mark talked about it last week. But of generosity. What the generous church was like in the early church. And remember, this is the, the church is days old. This is like the origin story for us all. This is the beginning of it. And it's days old, and it says they're marked with generosity. And in Acts 4, we see at the very end, we see, uh, oh yeah, there's this guy. Everyone is one heart and of one soul, and they're for each other. And there's this guy named Barnabas. And Barnabas heard there was a need, and so he sold his land and gave it to the apostles. How nice it was of him. He sold what he had and gave it to the poor. And it's commended. Now, in Acts 5, right at right after that, we see there's a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They, they, they had this land also, and they sold it. And just like Barnabas, they took it to the apostles. Just like Barnabas, laid it at their feet, and they were killed. Barnabas, in Acts 4, is commended. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 are killed. And there's these henchmen, it seems like, that come up, get the bodies and take them out, like they're waiting for it to happen. What's the difference? They do the same thing. They have their land, they sell their land, one's commended, one's killed. What's the difference? In Acts 4, we see Barnabas... It says he's of one mind and of one heart. And when he sees the need of the people that he's linked up with, he says, I'm going to sell it for the sake of you. Right? Basically, he's saying, where, where are you affected? Because I want to come and meet that need. Because I'm with you and for you. And he sells it. The reason he sells his property is to meet others' needs. And then right after that, we see Ananias and Sapphira. And they see this model, this, this kind of uh, what, what Barnabas does. And they say, huh. He had land and we have land. What if we sell it? And, and, and Ananias, the husband, goes to the wife, Sapphira, and says, what if we sell it and we keep the money? But we go to Peter and say, hey, Peter, this is all the money we've, we've sold and gotten. The internet wasn't a thing then, just FYI. It's new. And, and, and so public records wasn't there. No one knew how much they sold it for. And so he says, hey, what if we sell it? keep some of the proceeds and give it, but say this was all that we got from the land sale. Everyone will love us. We will be the charitable people on front of the magazine and be so highly thought of. All the while, we will have kept something for ourselves. We win in the people's eyes and we win in our own achievements and safety nets and ability to still have money in our pocket. We win both ways. And they say, let's do it, because no one will know. And as they do this plan, we see what happens. And here's the message version. It's a, a translation of the Bible. It's a little more loose, but it's helpful to grab hold of. It says, Ananias, right after he's given the money and said, this is all that we got from the land, which it was not, wasn't. And Ananias, Peter says, how did Satan get you to lie to the Holy Spirit and secretly keep back part of the price of the field? It's important for us to understand this. Peter says, before you, Ananias, before you sold the, the field, it, it was yours. 
basically before you sold it, it was yours. You didn't have to sell it. It was yours. You could do what you wanted to with it. And he says, and after you sold it, after you sold the land, the money was yours to do with as you wished. Basically, you sold it. You didn't have to. And you had the money. You didn't have to give it to us. And yet you did it anyway. So what got you in to pull a trick like this? You didn't lie to men, but you lied to God. Everything Ananias and Sapphira do, they don't have to do, but they choose to do it. Same actions as Barnabas in Acts 4. Entirely different motive. And that's the point. Motive matters. The why matters. Thank you, Simon Sinek of TED Talk. The why matters of the what you do. The why matters of what you do. Bruce Waltke, he's an Old Testament professor, and he's a genius, and he's excellent in the book of Proverbs. And he says this, he says in the book of Proverbs, the righteous work for the good of the community. That's what Barnabas has done. He's given himself for the sake of the community. And the wicked work for their own glory and gain. Ananias and Sapphira. The what of selling land for Barnabas accomplishes his why, taking care of those who Jesus loves, the poor. Acts 5, the what of selling land helps accomplish the why behind it, loving who they love themselves. The righteous work for the good of the community. The wicked work for their own glory and gain. Now there's a story um, that Elizabeth Elliot, this, this famous woman, uh, 20th century uh, missionary, amazing story. But she tells this apocryphal story, which means it didn't happen. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily in the Bible. But it's a story about Jesus and Peter and all the disciples. And the story goes like this. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples pick up a stone and carry it with us on our day's journey. So everyone picks up a stone. And Peter, if you, if you know anything about Peter, he's kind of a try hard, both in the knock of the sense of the word and, and the legitimate sense of the word. And, and Peter says, okay, I'll just grab this little stone, this tiny little pebble. He picks it up and they're walking down the road and they go all day long and they, they end their day and their journey of the day. They sit down and Jesus says, okay, everyone take out your stone. They take out their stone and, and Peter's just this tiny little one. And Jesus says, poof. Every single stone turns into the size of the stone into bread. If it's a big boulder, it's a big boulder of bread. If it's a tiny little pebble like Peter's, it's a hors d'oeuvre. And so after they eat this and they, they, they feast on what they've um, magically rocks into stone, uh, end up bread, um, they rest. And the next day, Jesus uh, says to his disciples the exact same thing. Pick up a stone and carry it with us on our day's journey. And Peter says, wait a second, I've heard this before. I'm going to carry this boulder, and I can't wait to eat tonight. And so he carries this boulder, puts it on his back, and he walks all day long, and he's, he's just dying. He's, he's thinking to himself, man, this, this is painful and this hurts, but I can't wait till dinner. And so he goes, and they get to the end of their day. Peter sets this big boulder down, and um, he's waiting. He's thinking, here it comes. Uh, dig in, boys. It's, it's, it's Golden Corral. And, and Jesus says to him, all of his disciples, all right, take the stone you got and throw it into the sea. Let's keep walking. And Peter's kind of wondering, come again? 
And the story says this. Jesus goes to Peter and says this. Who were you carrying the stone for? Were you carrying the stone because I asked you to or because what you would get from it? And the same is true in Acts 4 and Acts 5. Barnabas sold the land because he was invited by Jesus to do it. He didn't sell it for himself. He sold it for the people and really for his Savior. And for Ananias and Sapphira, they really didn't sell their land because Jesus invited. They sold it because what they would get out of it. And Peter carried that stone because, that big boulder, because what he could get out of it. And so my question to you is the same that Jesus asked Peter in that story. And it's, who are you carrying the stone for? Simply put, why are you doing what you're doing? What's the why behind it, the motive behind it, the reason why in which you do the things you do that you call good and deem good? The invasive thing about Christianity is that we aren't just liable for what we do, all the bad things we do that we need to confess and, and say, I shouldn't have done this. The invasive thing about Christianity is that the God of all things knows not just what you do, but why you do it, even more than you do. And that he knows why you do bad things. And he actually knows why you do what things everyone else sees and it's called good. The invasive thing about Christianity is that the God of all things knows the things in which we do all things. The reason in which we do all things. The why matter. The motive matters. So that's what's the reason. What, the reason behind we do things, that we, we give, we offer, we, do, we live the Christian life. What does it reveal? What does it reveal in us? Because it reveals something deep. So, Barnabas, Ananias, and Sapphira, they both have land, they both sell their land. Now, uh, that, and they both give it to the church. That is, in our minds, not a big deal. All right? You all, you all are, 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 are pretty people. You're well-off people, probably. And you probably have a, a mixed portfolio of of assets, of, of land, or, or at least of a, a car and some money saved away, or some Dogecoin, whatever it may be, you have something to your name. And, and so for you to say, hey, 501c3, here's, here's a part of my portfolio, here you go. That's wonderful. All right, if you say, I've got some land, I'm going to sell it and give it to you, just give you the profits, that's not unheard of. to give a part of your portfolio of money or assets or value and hand it over to something, a charitable cause. Now, in the Bible, the word land comes up. If you go to your BibleGateway.com, type in land, L-A-N-D, just in case you didn't know, 1,368 times land comes up. Meaning, the frequency of the word coming up in Scripture attests to the value of it in the story of Scripture. Meaning, land is a big, 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 big deal. I mean, the first promise to Abraham in, in Genesis 12 is, I'm going to give you land. Land is a big deal. It's a big deal because in that agrarian society, it's what you got from the past. 
your ancestors handed it down. And in the present, it's what you use to make money. It's what you use as a safety net. It's what you use as a home. You don't have to wander around. You have a place. And as the future, the future generations, they'll get the land you had. It's a big deal. And in fact, for the early church, it's the cornerstone of currency in their culture. So for them to give it away is a big, big deal. Because in that day, if you had land, you're fine. If you had land, you have a safety net. If you have land, you're good and you don't have to worry. You're fine. And what does Barnabas do? He sells his land. He sells his safety net. He sells a thing that purchases worry and and obliterates it. And he does it all because others need it more than he does. And Ananias and Sapphira do the exact same thing. They sell the land, they're giving it up, and they're giving part of the money they got from it generously, and part of it they're keeping selfishly. They wanted the acclaim of generosity by offering some of it without the risk of losing all of it. The point is, they can live without land. The point of the story is God is not upset that they lost the land. And God is not even upset that they only gave some of it. As Peter said, hey, you didn't have to sell it. And hey, you didn't have to give all the money to us. But you lied about it. And the reason they lied about it the why behind their lie behind it is they, they could live without the land. They, they sold it. They lose it. They couldn't live without a deeper issue, this deeper desire in them being met. This deeper desire of being accepted by people. Of being highly thought of. Of having an ego that's inflated and fattened up. A reputation and a status of being known for their generosity even though they weren't generous falsely coming by something that they really don't have in the first place. And that is directly contrasted with Barnabas, who gives everything away for the sake of other people. He doesn't even probably want to know that he did it anyway. And that's the thing about this cornerstone of cultural currency, is that it soothes us. It's our safety net. We don't have to worry because of it. It's our golden calves that we protect. And the thing is, it's oftentimes not material things. It's oftentimes the material things reflect and show what your safety net is, what your creature comfort really is, what the thing you need most is, what your golden calf is. Material things have a way in revealing the thing what you most desire. Let me give you an example. So this past weekend, um, I had some work done on my truck. And uh, it's a 17-year-old truck, and um, I had some work done on it. And it, um, it, it doesn't just purr, it howls. It roars down the road. It's this new hot rod. And it goes, and this morning when I drove here to church, um, this morning, kind of before the sun got up, um, I woke up everyone on Main Street because of the way my truck sounds now. And the best part of it is that I have this new hot rod of a truck, and it was all done, all the work done, for free. I didn't pay a cent to have the way my truck sounds. And it's free because um, someone graciously, uh, I think Thursday night, 
around 3 a.m., came and um, cut out my catalytic converter. And so that's a piece of a, the car. And you ask, what is a catalytic converter? And the answer is yes. And so, um, so my car doesn't have a catalytic converter. My truck doesn't have one. And um, when I discovered this, um, I was enraged. I was livid. And then I, I went from this mad emotion to then a sadness. I went from mad of, that's so unfair. Someone just came and cut out a piece of my truck and sold it for some scrap. And all of a sudden, I've got to foot the bill of whatever it's going to be. And I was sad. I thought, man, all of a sudden now I've got to go do all these things to make it right. And that madness turned to sadness, turned to, turned to a despondence. To a, to a, hold up, actually, I'm not just mad, I'm not just sad. I'm actually, I feel powerless. I was sleeping and someone came and took advantage of me. I can't do a thing about it. I can't undo what's been done. In my economy, being in control and having order of things is what I most value. Yes, I like to take care of my cars. I never miss an oil change. Yes, I'm not a big fan of petty theft. You know, you know you can, you, you'll hear that as I drive down the road. But, but really, I'm most upset because the thing I love most, not a car, not a catalytic converter, but those things have been meddled with and that thing, those things I've meddled with what I love most, order and control and way of writing a story of my life and a narrative of my life so that so when someone takes a piece of metal from my truck, I'm ruined. The material things often attest to something in us that holds the glue together, that's a deep desire inside of us. And that's what we see in Ananias and Sapphira. They sold their land the material thing, something attested to something inside of them wanting to be accepted. They were going to use this thing of land so that everyone would look on them and accept them. If I had that catalytic converter, something inside of me would say, you're fine. Material things reveal something deep inside of us. And so friends, what is a currency inside of you you can't stand to lose? Or what's a currency that you so value that say, if I have this, I'll be okay. If I have something, I'll be all right. Not because I have it, because that, but because that it will tell something about me. It will say something about a deep internal and even eternal desire in my own heart. It could be in your career. It could be in your collections of things. It could be in your relationships. It could be even in getting a parking spot at the grocery store. Your life is full of case studies that attest to what you most long for in your heart of hearts. And if you look at those case studies, oftentimes you'll see we just continue to not get it right. That we're more disenchanted than filled up and full and satisfied. We're more discouraged than emboldened. It reveals how we don't get it right, and it really probably most attests to how we disbelieve who Jesus actually is. Yes, what he came to do, but who he really is for us.
And there's a quote that we've said here before, uh, and, I'll, and I think it's helpful for this morning. A guy named Peter Hyatt, a pastor, said it. He said, so I'm convinced your deepest problem is not the cigarettes you smoke or the alcohol you drink in secret. It's not the slander you speak and the gossip you cherish. It's not the pornography you pleasure yourself with when no one looking. It's not the baby you aborted. It's not that you betrayed your brother, cheated on your bride, lied about the whole thing and retaliated with murder. It's not even that you slaughtered the lamb and killed the Messiah. Your deepest problem, your deepest problem is that somewhere deep down inside, you believe Jesus the Messiah rose from the dead just to kick your rear end. When in fact he rose from the dead so that you would believe all is forgiven. It is finished. Justice is accomplished and the Father is pleading, come home, come home, come home. We believe our deepest problem is the first half of those things and therefore we will find some kind of creature comfort, some kind of something to tell deep inside of us we're fine, we're going to be okay. Because the second half of the fact that Jesus didn't just come to kick our rear end, but actually to invite us to come home to him, to tell us all is forgiven, is such a bold claim to believe. It's just too big. It's too good. And yet it's exactly what he longs for us to grab a hold of. So there's a reason why we do what we do. If, there's a, if it reveals some kind of deep desire in us, what do we do next? Basically, what do we do with Ananias and Sapphira? What's this last idea? What's next? 10 to 15 years ago, there was a TV show. And this TV show is entitled Scared Straight. And this TV show, Scared Straight, took um, kind of troubled teens and took them to maximum security penitentiaries so they could sit in a chair and have these uh, inmates scream in their face and scream in their ears, um, I'm here to scare you straight. <clears throat> and uh, shockingly, that TV show is discontinued uh, for a laundry list of reasons. But one of the most important ones is because stats show, studies show, the method of being scared straight just doesn't work. And the reason is because fear is a terrible motivator. So are we supposed to walk away from this story trembling, stricken with fear, right? Staring down the barrel of the gun that God is holding at us and saying, don't mess up or I'll get you. The repo man that is God, the boogeyman that is God. Is that the, no, it's not the, that's not the moral of the story. In verse 5 and verse 11, it talks about fear, though. And it says this. It says, When Ananias heard these words, he fell down, breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. Verse 11. And great fear, after Sapphira came and gave her offering, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. They were fearful. They were marked by fear. Are we supposed to be marked by fear? No. We're supposed to be marked by the fear they're marked with, though. And we have to understand what that fear is. And that fear is this. It's this robust word. And that's, it's a redemptive word, meaning I know who I am in light of who I'm relating to. They were stricken with great fear, marked with great fear, because they see 
We have a God who's holy. We have a God who's powerful. We have a God who says, I won't allow things to stand in my brand new baby church. Remember, days old, I have a baby that's days old. Uh, if you have COVID, please don't come around my baby. If there's an infection that Ananias and Sapphira are trying to bring into the church, it's good for God to say, don't come near this thing because my son died for it. We're supposed to be marked by fear that all of the New Testament believers that look upon Ananias and Sapphira are marked by because it says, I know who I'm dealing with. I have a self-awareness in light of the God who I'm seeing move and act. The same word fear that they have in Acts 5 is the same word in Luke 23 that the criminal on the cross says. And it says this in Luke 23. It says, one of the criminals who hung there on the cross next to Jesus hurled insults at him, Jesus. And he said, <clears throat> aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, the other criminal. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this Jesus, this one who you're talking to like that, this man has done nothing wrong. And after that, he has this word of belief that says, Lord, would you, would you welcome me into the kingdom that you're going into? Remember me. Great fear. Not because he's trembling in his boots. He has great fear because he knows he sees the God of all things and he's right next to him. And the great fear is a relating word that says, I'm going to organize my entire life in light of who you are. I'm in awe of you. And Ananias and Sapphira, the people see what happened to them. The thief on the cross sees what's happened to Jesus and they're marked with fear. Because they see that the God of all things won't allow evil to affect the thing that he loves most, his people. And because of that, Ananias and Sapphira die. And because of that, the king of all things, Jesus, dies. We're invited not to tremble as if we will be struck down just like Ananias and Sapphira were. We're invited to believe and actually be in awe of the God who says, I'm not going to strike you down. I'm going to strike my son down so that you will know life because he was struck down. You will know life. You will know prosperity. You will know abundance, not because you gave everything away, but because he gave everything away for you. The what of what he does and the why of what he does is so pure that any blemish you have and you've walked into this room with right now, or you feel the weight from years ago, whatever it may be, the what and the why of Jesus is so pure, it will wash it white as snow. It's a hard thing to believe, and it's the most beautiful, freeing thing to believe. Let's pray to the God who allows us to believe it. Let's pray. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. 
Come home, come home, come home. Lord, will we hear that call to you this very day and take the cheap tricks that we have in our own lives, the whys that are thwarted and twisted, that really are marked with an unbelief of, Lord, you don't have what's good in mind for me. But we drop those things because I know there are plenty in my life. We look to Jesus who laid down everything that he had of perfection to be struck with the thing that I need to be struck with. Died the death I was supposed to die. Offers a life I could never be given. And know a peace and a perfection nowhere else can be found. It's just so hard to believe, and yet, Jesus, you did it for us. So by the power of your empty tomb, may we understand it more deep. And we see the beauty of who Jesus is for us this very day. Because he's calling us, come home, come home, come home. We pray in your name. Amen. May we understand it more deep. And we see the beauty of who Jesus is for us this very day. Because he's calling us, come home, come home, come home. We pray in your name. Amen.